I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. This week, we conclude the top five countdown of 2022 with the number one most popular episode for the future mobility this year, and that is episode 94 with Harold Rust, CEO of Ennovix, recorded, released in March of this year, March 2022. So yeah, this was the, the most popular episode that came out. Um, I left in the intro from when the episode aired, so you'll get some background on the company and um, and Harold, so I won't go too deep there, but yeah, appreciate you listening out. If, if you haven't uh, checked out, now five weeks in a row, I've been counting down the uh, most popular episodes of the year. Um, make sense of this one's. Uh, up there for sure very really interesting technology really interesting approach 3d battery chemistry um, approach cell chemistry were huge topic as we look at decarbonizing and improving um, energy storage methods so i'll leave it there for now yeah enjoy the most popular episode of the year with harold rust Today's guest is Harold Rust. Harold is president, CEO, and co-founder of Innovix, a leader in advanced silicon anode lithium-ion battery development and production. They utilize a proprietary 3D cell architecture that increases energy density and maintains high cycle life compared to competing lithium-ion battery designs. So we're talking about battery technology here. And a lot of, as Harold says in the discussion, a lot of the next generation of battery improvements are centered around chemistry it's essentially the same approach to battery cell design which you know it's called the jelly roll which Harold explains with different cell chemistry in there that ekes out a, a bit more improvement in energy density the way Innovix is thinking about this is a bit more radical and they're redesigning the cell from an architecture perspective and there's a link here in the show notes. I recommend going to their website and t- taking a look at what this, because it's kind of hard to conceptualize as he explains it, um, just just kind of verbally, but um, it, it makes a lot of sense when you see the pictures. So they're, they're thinking about this from a 3D perspective at the cell level. What that does is allow several improvements, which we talk about in detail, including the use, the effective use of the silicon anode for the battery cell, which is something that people have strived to do for a while. There are some challenges that are ch- tough to overcome with the jelly roll design, but the, the, not, not, not quite as challenging given the way Innovix is approaching this. So they're starting in the smaller scale applications and soon here with plans and it, it's only ramping up in the, in the coming years to full electric vehicle size. So re- really interesting company. I think cool to talk in detail here about battery cell technology, um, starting at kind of battery 101 and, and getting a little, de- little or a little deeper than that. So really enjoyed this discussion. I hope you do too. Here's my conversation with Harold Rust. Today I'm joined by Harold Rust. Harold, thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Nice to be here. 
Yeah, I think this is uh, an exciting topic. So I, uh, electrification, um, cer- certainly a topic that I've covered a good amount on the Future Mobility podcast, but I haven't gotten deep into the the, the battery space. And I think the work that you're doing with Innovix is, is certainly exciting. So with, with that being said, could you please start us off by uh, introducing a bit about, about the company and what you are doing with Innovix? Sure, happy to do that. So, um, so Novix is a lithium-ion battery company. Um, we've been in business um, since 2007. Um, we're a bit unique than others in the battery space in our approach. Um, you know, when we started the company back in 2007, our thought, our thought was, you know, looking at the battery space um, and looking at its track record, the, the pace of innovation in that space was really pretty slow. And if you actually look at it over the last 30 years, it's about four and a half percent per year. And you know, what was what was happening is even happened more so over the last, I would say five years is that, you know, um, everything out of, about our lives kind of depends on batteries now, right? From consumer electronics to vehicles, to even some of the grid storage stuff, right? And it seemed that that, that area was just ripe for someone to think about the problem a bit differently, right? Uh, to see if we couldn't change that track record. Because in pretty much every device we talk about, batteries end up being kind of a number one pain point. Um, and so the, the, the founding team and, then, and actually much of the company at Inovix um, is people that um, came out of different industries, um, specifically industries working on um, different architecture products um, one was the disk drive business, one was semiconductor testing. And when we look at the battery, um, if we looked at the battery problem, um, we thought, well, rather than do what everyone else is doing, maybe a different approach would work. And specifically the battery industry over the last 30 years, pretty much all innovation has been um, in, terms, in, in terms of better materials and chemistry but the basic way you make the battery hasn't changed at all, right? I mean, if you look at a picture of a battery from 30 years ago, it's gonna look about the same as one today. It's just different different stuff inside. And we, we approached the problem differently. We said, well, what if you changed how you made the battery? Could you harness um, more performance out of that battery? And you know, back, back in 2007, at least on paper, we felt that if you change the way you made the battery, you know, you could potentially really drive up energy density, which is the number one care about, you know, how much energy can you get in a certain volume or space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, in the early days, um, we were kind of dissuaded at actually even working on this because, you know, not surprisingly, for a whole industry that focuses on innovation on one axis, which is materials and chemistry, if you come up with a crazy idea of a different way to make the battery in a different architecture, people think you're kind of loony a little bit. And so um, we had to kind of work through that a little bit, but ultimately we felt um, we had the right set of people that could pull this off. And it's been a tough go. I mean, it's taken us 14 years, but ultimately um, we've been able to develop an architecture that um, has significantly higher energy density. Um, and depending on the product, 30 to 130% more energy uh, in the same volume. And that's a huge advantage if you think about kind of this normal rate of innovation of four and a half percent a year. So that's kind of how the company started. Um, and, you know, we're bringing that, that product to market um, this year, first in the consumer electronics space, but then our long-term vision is to have this technology impact, you know, even the, the bigger markets, things like electric vehicles, um, you know, as we get towards the middle of the decade. Yeah, th- thanks for the background. Certainly, an, an interesting path, and I think a lot of different, a uh, lot, lot of questions I have. So maybe the the first one though. So you mentioned innovation and in batteries primarily. Right now, it's uh, other companies on the market. They one architecture essentially, and we're we're talking about materials and chemistry improvements. Could could you speak to what does that architecture look like, the, the current one, and then what's different about the way that you guys are approaching it? Yeah, sure. So the the basic way most batteries are made today is. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a three-step process. Um, you have um, active materials that actually store energy for you, right? So there's an anode material and a cathode material. Um, they, they, are, they are the two materials that the lithium moves around to in the battery. And in one case, when the lithium moves into the anode, it stores energy. And then when the lithium moves back to the, the cathode, it discharges and you get energy. Um, those materials are, for lack of a sexier word, just black powders. And the way the battery is made is you make up a paint essentially of those materials. 
um, and then you paint a thin layer of that on um, a metal foil. Uh, in the case of the cathode, it's an aluminum foil. Uh, in the case of anode, it's a copper foil. So imagine these very large printing operations with you know, kilometer-long rolls of copper and aluminum that are very thin, um, and that roll may be a meter wide, right? So these are very industrial-scale printing operations. So you, you do that. You do your coating of the active materials, anode or cathode. Um, and when that's done and those materials will dry, what you'll do is you cut out a strip of that material. Let's say for a cell phone, I'm just rough order magnitude. You cut off, you cut out a, a sheet that's maybe three inches wide or four inches wide by a meter long. And you have an anode sheet and you have a cathode sheet. Um, and you and you have two other, there's one other piece you need, but you need two of them. It's called a separator. And it's an engineered plastic that sits in between the anode and the cathode that um, that allows the lithium to travel through, but it doesn't let the anode and the cathode physically short, right? So you basically think about, um, you, you take out this meter long piece of anode, you take a meter long piece of separator and meter long piece of cathode, another meter long piece of separator, and then you wind this thing up. It's actually called a jelly roll at times. So it's a winding where you just wind these four materials on top of each other. Um, in the case of a cylindrical battery, um, you know, it's wound circular, right? Like you might find in a 18650 is a popular size for a lithium ion battery, which is a bit bigger than a double A. Um, but in a cell phone, you wind the battery kind of flat, right? So you can do the same winding, but you just do it flat. Um, that winding or jelly roll, as it's called, is then put inside um, uh, a polymeric pouch which pretty much every battery today is made of. Um, and it's basically a highly engineered plastic with some aluminum in it. Um, you, put the, you put the jelly roll in there, you put in a very specific amount of electrolyte. The electrolyte is the fluid that the lithium travels around in. Uh, and then you seal the pouch and out of the pouch, you have um, a plus and a minus tab for your, you know, your battery, right? And then you charge the battery the first time um, at the factory, you do some testing and then ultimately ship that to the customer, right? And then, you know, you charge and discharge the battery by either putting a voltage across it or, you know, taking current out of the battery. So that's how every battery today is pretty much made. Um, our approach is very different. We, we start off with the same beginning materials, these long rolls of coated material, um, but rather than winding, um, we do a very precise patterning operation where we um, create, um, I would call it very um, but long electrodes. So imagine rather than having a winding, um, you have electrodes which are, um, let's say four inches long, but only like three millimeters tall, right? So that's, that's one of our electrodes. And you have many, many, many. So rather than winding, um, winding, the, um, winding the battery kind of this way, we stack the battery. So we stack a battery to where we've got an anode, a separator, a cathode, a separator, and then we do it again. So anode, cathode, separator, you know, sep and repeat and repeat and repeat. So in one of our batteries, rather than having one continuous winding, you'll have 50 to 100 anode and cathode pairs in the battery, and they're stacked horizontally in the battery, right? So if you think about it, you know, they're stacked in one dimension. Um, and the, the beauty of that architecture, there's, there's a couple. One is um, that architecture is actually, it is truly square or prismatic, right? So everything has got corners on it. And if you think about a winding, the winding process or the jelly roll by its nature has rounded edges. So if you put a rounded product in a square package, ultimately what we all want is a square battery or rectangular battery. You end up losing some volume at the edges just because you're putting a round peg in a square hole, right? So first order, you get some benefit from having a truly, a, you know, a rectangular product and a re rectangular hole, which is an advantage. The second thing, which is not um, intuitively obvious is the architecture ends up being a key enabler of one of the big uh, material advan advances the battery industry has been pursuing for, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years now, which is the transition of the anode from graphite to silicon. Um, so almost every battery you buy today has got a graphite or carbon anode. Um, 
Silicon has been heralded for a while as being um, the next great anode because it has the ability to store um, about twice as much lithium as graphite. So if you could make the silicon anode work, in principle, you could put in half as thick an anode and get the same performance out of it, right? So if your anode is half as thick, you can put more layers in the battery and your energy goes up, right? So if silicon is so great, why is it not kind of taken over the world? Um, the reason is it has um, some big challenges to make it work. The, the, um, the most significant challenge is that when the silicon sees lithium for the first time, the silicon expands by as much as 100%, right? So imagine your silicon layer doubles in thickness, that ends up making your whole battery swell, right? And so obviously no one wants a battery that's swelling um, and you know, your battery ballooning up. And in fact, if you, if you look at it, the, the pressure that that creates is, is large enough that it's almost impossible to keep the battery from swelling. If you wanted to put it in a case that would keep it from swelling, you have to put a, you've got to put a force of about two tons on the battery, right? And that's like, that's like the weight of a car. So it's really not practical. So that's the biggest, probably the biggest factor in preventing people from using silicon today because they just can't manage the swelling because it's a huge problem. And so what you'll see people do today is they'll take a little silicon, maybe 5% silicon, and they'll mix it in with graphite. Uh, and the reason they do that is they get a tiny little performance boost, but they also mitigate that whole swelling problem because they're not very using very much of the silicon, right? So. It turns out that our architecture, where instead of having this long winding, having these short electrodes that are oriented kind of in the, in the perpendicular direction, allows us to have our anode be 100% active silicon. So in our battery, we don't use any graphite. We just use the silicon. Um, and because our battery electrodes are short in that one dimension, um, the same expansion pressure that you find in the battery um, in, a, in a normal battery, that expansion pressure is acting on the large surface of the battery, right? Causing the whole battery to swell up. In our battery, the expansion pressure is acting on the edge of the battery because everything is turned on its side. And um, we're able to put a very elegant um, constraint, we call it. It's a thin piece of stainless steel that goes on the top on the bottom of the battery. And it's able to keep the silicon from, from swelling, right? And so that allows us to move to a silicon anode, um, which is very unique to us. It allows us to get to these very high energy densities I mentioned earlier. Um, and it's only because we have a different way to make the battery that it's all possible, right? So that, that what I would say is um, the key difference is we've got a very different architecture where instead of winding, we're stacking in these short, uh, short electrodes in one dimension, and we can move to 100% silicon anode because we can manage the pressure in that architecture. Thanks. Yeah, that's it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm on my screen looking at an, an image from your uh, Innovix website, which is very helpful. I'll make sure to include one in the show notes as well. Yeah, you're... yeah. So it kind of shows, you can see the stacks in there, I think, right? Yeah, and, and to it, because yeah, it, it may be hard to follow just just the words. But yeah, yeah it no, just, it's hard, it's hard to sense. follow. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting. And I think the, as, as you mentioned, kind of this uh, being able to implement silicone or silicon uh, is is interesting. It sounds like I'd be curious to better understand kind of the, the path. So you said you've been working on this for 15 plus years and uh, not, not necessarily battery experts or people who have thought your entire career about batteries coming into it. What, what, what did this process look like? So it sounds like you pretty much came in saying, hey, batteries, technology, it's ripe for innovation. It, we, there's an ability here. We, we have this great background in architecture and structure and, and such to bring to this is this this type of innovation or this type of enablement that you're talking about here with silicone at um you know is that something that you stumbled upon over time as you were developing this technology or how, how did that work in the uh development process well you know when we started the company we were we thought the a different architecture was would get some advantages strictly because of this round peg and a square hole problem I talked about, right? If you truly make a rectangular battery and you want to put it in a rectangular socket, you're going to get more energy. It actually turned out that it wasn't probably until three years in that the industry started really getting excited about silicon, right? And, and it wasn't until then and until we started making the batteries with the silicon. And it wasn't 
So I, I would love to say that it kind of happened. I guess it kind of happened in as much that, you know, we didn't, we didn't start the company thinking about making a silicon anode work. We started the company um, trying to make a battery a different way. But as often as the case um, in the world, right, if you approach a problem differently, you kind of change the whole problem set, right? So what's a problem for someone else may not be a problem for you. On the other hand, what isn't a problem for someone else may be a problem for you, right? So it just turned out that this different way than making the battery was a unique, uniquely um, helped solve that silicon problem. And I, I would love to say on day one, we started the company, we realized that we actually didn't. We just felt there's gotta be a better way to make a battery and let's figure that out. And along the way, it ended up solving a bunch of the problems with silicon. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, and I have to imagine it's been an exciting journey over over that time. Uh, I, I would be also interested to better understand. So it sounds like volumetric energy des- density is a key benefit of, uh, of what you guys are offering in this silicon anode and this architecture. Uh, how, how, is this, how, how do you think this stacks up on, I don't know, if we look at, for, for example, like a, a mass density scale, if we look at cost and i know you probably have to do some extrapolation as you're looking at scaling up to um to look at that also if you look at like sustainability and the ability to um get resources and use challenging resources in lesser amount how does how does anovix's uh, approach stack up on those different variables yeah so you mentioned you know um, there's kind of two major ways of looking at energy density one is a volume based or volumetric and one is uh, weight-based, which is called gravimetric, right? Both are important depending on the product. Um, we have a similar advantage in both. So it turns out that if you can make silicon work, you get a pretty big leg up on energy density in either scenario. Um, you know, if you think about the markets, things like consumer electronics, it's really more about volume and weight, obviously. But surprisingly, even if you think about automotive stuff today, it actually... Um, what we've seen lately is people are more worried about the volume in the battery than they are the weight. <laughs> and the reason for that is, you know, you can figure out ways to save weight in a car, you know, make the hood aluminum instead of stainless. There's no way to figure out how to save volume. I mean, volume, you know what I mean? Volume is volume, right? And so if you look at cars today, I would say actually people are more worried and concerned about um, the volume of the battery than its weight. Um, that said, we have a pretty compelling value proposition um, in, in both ways of looking at energy density. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, certainly that, that, that is an interesting point. And I, I could see how volume even in automotive applications could be more important. That's not to say there isn't benefit in, in the weight too, as you, as you were alluding to, because I mean, just simple, simple physics problem. If you're, the more mass you're carrying around in the, the vehicle, regardless where it's coming from, uh, if you're able to shape that weight, it, you help yourself, uh, from a cost of, of use and then also sustainability. So yep. I'd also, I'd be interesting. So you, so you mentioned kind of uh, consumer electronics as the, the starting entry point. Uh, can, can you talk a bit more about what that looks like, what that market entry strategy looks like? And then after that, I'd like to explore kind of how the next, you see the next five years or whatever playing out. Sure. So, um, you know, we've, we've kind of approached, um, kind of the broad, the broader consumer electronic market, right? I mean, at, at the small end of batteries, you think about things like AR and VR and some of the wearable products. Um, you extend up through things like, you know, cell phones, mobile communications, laptops at the bigger end, right? That kind of spans the range. You know, there's other products there, but if you kind of think at the small and the big, you know, something, something like a laptop, pretty much has four cell phone batteries in it, right? And something at a small end, like an AR thing, you know, that battery could be um, the size of a, you know, a piece of Trident gum or something like that. So that kind of spans the range. Um, We are, um, we have active engagements with customers across all those markets, um, multiple customers. Um, These are, um, you know, pretty prominent players in the space. Not surprisingly, if you can offer, you know, energy densities as high as we've been talking about, people who are interested, um, initially, um, we'll likely be out in the wearable space to start. Uh, and the reason for that is those product cycles are very short. Qualification times are not uh, super long. Um, and um, But then, you know, shortly thereafter, we're working on programs for things like laptop cells, so, uh, um, you know, um, 
cell phone cells, that kind of smartphone cells. So I think if you think about where we are this year, it's, you know, we're, we're going to be out in the market with some wearable products that you'll be able to see. And then next year, you'll see us starting to penetrate in some of the larger cell markets like laptops, cell phones, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And how, how then do you, uh, so you mentioned, I think, mid-decade or so, um, yeah. you're, you're thinking for the electrified vehicle space. How, because that's, that's a longer product development cycle, right? And the, the batteries, especially nowadays with, with battery electric vehicles, you really have to build a pack, you build an entire vehicle around, around the battery. So that, that gets incorporated pretty early. Um, how are you thinking about how you're approaching that market? Yeah, so it's um, a good question. So what, what we, we're kind of approaching it from two or three different angles. So firstly, um, you know, there's a lot of criticism in the world that you can make a silicon nanon work given the, you know, the problems it has and the swelling I mentioned, there's some others as well. Um, so um, what we've done over the last year is, you know, the cell, we make, a, we make probably four different size batteries today um, that um, are standard. We'll even sample those, you know, those are consumer electronic batteries, right? But it still proves the silicon nanon works. We've sampled those to, um, to customers and companies in the EV space, right? To have them get comfortable with um, our, our claims that you can make a silicon nano working at these very high energy densities. And that's been pretty successful. The second is that um, we were awarded uh, a little over a year ago, um, a three-year program with the Department of Energy. where we're actually building, um, building our cells um, with um, the, the cathode materials you'll typically find in an EV. Um, if you look at consumer electronics versus electric vehicles, consumer electronics, that cathode is typically a lithium cobalt oxide. Um, but in the EV space, you find things that are nickel-based cathodes, so NMC, nickel, manganese, cobalt, there's some other ones like that. And they're really targeted more for, among other reasons, cost. They're a bit cheaper cathodes. Um, and so one of the questions that the DOE posed is, you know, does your architecture and your silicon anode work with um, the EV cathodes, not just the consumer electronic cathodes, right? So we started um, working on cells um, in this last year in that program. Um, and recently um, on our website, we released some data on um, some of the initial cycling results. One of the key things about any battery that people care about is, you know, how long can you use the battery? Obviously, well, it still has a good useful life. Um, and there's, um, there's a measure of that called cycle life, which... Um, basically is how many cycles can you go from full charge to full discharge um, and retain 80% of the initial capacity. And something like consumer electronics, you know, that could be three to 800 cycles, 300 to 800 cycles. And something like cars, you know, it's, you know, probably you need to be at least a thousand, maybe a bit higher. Um, and so the question was, hey, if you take your architecture and silicon anode, can you get to this thousand plus um, you know, with, uh, with the EV cathodes, these NMC cathodes. And, you know, and thus far, we're not there yet, but we have cells now that are 800 cycles in and have only lost about 4% of their capacity, right? So it seems like we're on a good track to prove that. So that's a very significant validating point because um, others in the, in the EV space haven't been able to show um, silicon working, obviously not high percent of silicon, um, but certainly not with the kind of cycle life, right? So that's kind of the second leg is actually showing with the right material set that this thing can do what it needs to do in cycle life. And the third is um, really starting to reach out and work with partners in that space. Um, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a quick process to qualify yourselves in a vehicle, right? It's a multi-year um, program. And our, our thought is that probably the right way to enter that space is to do some type of license or joint venture with um, existing players, either an existing battery company or maybe potentially EV car company, um, and then help them to, um, to build lines that can actually make our product, right? I mean, you know, you know that the cost to build a gigafactory is gigadollars, right? It's very expensive. And um, we think probably the fastest way to get to market is to work with some existing players um, that are have plans or building gigafactories and then bring in our technology and replace that winding process we talked about mm -hmm. with our patterning and stacking 
so that then you could have, you know, in, in a gigafactory that all of a sudden, you know, is producing, you know, as an example, 50% more watt hours in the same factory, right? And you're very differentiated product. Um, and that, that allows us, we think, to get to market quicker. Um, and, you know, you give a little bit up by doing a joint venture or license deal. But on the other hand, I think that's the fastest way to get to the market. And our, our hope is that towards we get to the middle of the decade, um, you know, some of those deals will get to the point where our technology is in, in EV batteries. Gotcha. Yeah. How, so thinking of kind of the, the scaling up process from cell size. So how, how, how challenging or what, what are the challenges of going from these, these smaller scale, you mentioned like a phone laptop type battery on the, on the large end to the types of cells that would be required in, in an EV for, I guess, for first talking about just the mechanical, the, the size, um, what, where are the challenges there or are, are there challenges there? Yeah, I would say, you know, physically the size of the battery is a little bit bigger, obviously, right? Um, you know, we basically have a line today that can make things from this kind of AR size, which is very small up to laptop size, which is, you know, which is um, quite a bit bigger. In principle, the technology can make um, larger cells than that. You would design the line, you know, to do that stuff, but there's nothing in principle about it that would allow you not to make bigger ones. And so, you know, we'll, we'll probably um, push the envelope a little bit, but we have, but ultimately... Um, when you're really targeting an EV product, you probably design the line to actually make the bigger size cell. It's not, it's the technology is not different. It's the same patterning and stacking process. You're just, you know, patterning bigger features and stacking them probably taller, so to speak. And then how, how about the application work? So for the most part, this would either be a, you could go straight cell to pack or cell to module to, to pack, which requires, you know, the, the mechanical packaging, the, um, cooling systems, uh, putting a, a automotive grade BMS on top of this, um, complying to functional safety standards, all, all those types of things. Uh, do you, I mean, some of these are consistent. I imagine you, you don't want a cell phone battery starting on fire, just like you don't want a, a car starting on fire, but maybe approach from different ways. Um, how, how are you thinking about kind of what, what else goes into the, the application work of the cell? Yeah. So it's a, it's a good question. So you know, as you, you kind of were alluding to, you know, in an EV, you've got the cell, that's one piece of the battery, but then there's the whole pack around it, right? And there's a cooling system that goes along with that. Um, and there's probably as much cost and all that, and all that stuff uh, making the cells work as the cells themselves. And so the question you have is, you know, if you have a new cell design, how does that impact kind of the pack design? And, you know, we actually think there's some potentially significant benefits of um, our technology at the pack level. Um, just a couple examples. So, you know, today you make a conventional wound cell, um, you put it into a battery pack and for a car, typically there's a pretty significant uh, mechanical structure that clamps the cells together and applies pressure to them. Um, in our architecture, you don't really need to do that because I, re I remember I mentioned we have this little constraint system and effectively the cell itself has got a thin stainless structure around the cell. So that, that essentially um, eliminates requirement for some additional pressure on the batteries after the fact. And so your actual pack design at the E level could be simpler because you don't need this whole structure to hold the cells together. They hold themselves together themselves. The second is that you know, one of the big carabouts in EVs is how fast can you charge the car? Can you get to this 10 minute charge time? In principle, you know, you can charge a battery as fast as you want. The problem you run into is that the faster you charge it, the hotter it gets. And at some point it gets so hot that bad things happen to the battery. Mm -hmm. um, and so the name of the game there is when you're charging, can you get the heat out fast enough, you know, so that you don't let the cells get too hot. Um, in a normal battery, um, this wound structure, it turns out that the materials in the battery are actually pretty poor heat conductors. And so it's really hard to get the heat out of a battery, I guess is the way to put it, right? And so you have this big cooling system around the cells, but first you got to get the heat out of the cell to, you know, whatever cooling structure you have. You know, and if you, if you look, you were mentioning, you saw the picture in our, our website of what our battery looks like. Um, our battery kind of looks like a heat sink. It has these little fins, right? They go along and those fins terminate on the top and the bottom of the face of stainless steel. So from a thermal standpoint, our battery rejects heat really well. 
So if you're trying to charge really fast, getting the heat out of the battery really quickly is a big advantage, right? Because then you actually get the heat out fast enough to let the cooling system get it away from the pack. And we think that architecture, our architecture, uh, might be a key enabler of some of these really fast charge rates because it just, it just you know, a, again, we just thought of this problem differently. And when you do so, you know, we didn't think about, we didn't think about thermal properties are better when we started, but it just turns out it's much better because that the heat has a short distance to travel before it gets to that piece of stainless on the top and the bottom. Yeah, yeah it makes perfect sense. And I was actually thinking something similar. I mean, this is, yeah, it looks just, just like the fins in a... It does. Yeah. Cool. So, so uh, and then is it primarily automotive, so some motive mo- mobility type application? That, and I guess part of my question, one of the things that, so energy density, some of the stuff we're talking about here is may- maybe even more important for like a, an aircraft application as the, those are looking to um, decarbonize and whether it's hybrid or full battery electric, um, the, the, the battery and specifically the uh, gravimetric, gravimetric, uh, energy density is the limiting factor there is that something on the radar or is it kind of streamlined that you guys are thinking hey let's let's go up the chain from consumer electronics let's focus on automotive and then we can maybe branch out from there i think that's our thought right now i mean we've obviously we have had conversations with not with aircrafts per se but with things like drones and stuff like that so there's definitely an angle there um you know i think the most challenging industry from a battery standpoint is probably the airborne stuff, right? Because weight is a huge factor, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we can we can move there. I think, you know, that that market is still a ways away. Obviously, the EV market is a bit more mature already, right? And so um, I think the technology certainly can get there, um, but it's probably after kind of we're out of EVs, I would say. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I know as a, a new entrance and entrant into the space not usually a great idea to try to target everything at the same time kind of anyways so yeah. uh, well, uh i'm sorry uh but yeah yeah i wanted to, I wanted to take a little bit of a, a left turn a couple couple questions kind of about uh that you and how, how you how the company has thought that tie into what we're talking about here so the, the first one i like to ask every guest um that i have on what's what's a favorite book or or books of yours so something that you've used something that you've read, read through your life that that's influenced you whether it's professionally personally um, whatever, what, what is something that's anything come to mind there? Well, you know, I, I, um, I have a short term memory on books. I can tell you the one that I read recently, which I think really resonates with me. Um, it's a, it's a David Attenborough book called life on our planet, which really talks about, you know, the things that we need to do, um, to, to get our planet where backs need to be. Right. So we're, you know, we can manage our resources, right. Obviously Warming. Um, you know, obviously running a battery company, I think about that general topic a lot, right? Um, but I think he just kind of really um, succinctly kind of um, illustrates kind of how we impact the planet and then what are the steps we need to take to kind of um, kind of reverse the course, right? And I think it's within our means to do that. I think more electrification and battery storage is going to be a key piece of that, obviously, as well over time. And um, that one just particularly resonated with me. Um, I've been a fan of his, you know, on a lot of his um, kind of nature stuff in the past, but I think in a broader sense, he really has a good view for man's impact on the world and things we need to do to kind of make, make ourselves, you know, have a sustained uh, existence here on this planet, right? Because it's our only yeah. planet we got. Yeah, thanks. I hadn't heard about that once, but appreciate the, uh, appreciate the thought there. And I, I would also add, I mean, so electrification of, 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 especially in the mobility space is a critical topic, but only, we were only really going to reach that potential if we continue to improve battery technology, as well as the cleanliness, the uh, sustainability of the electricity we're, we're developing. So, I mean, merely switching to electric batteries and or electric vehicles and the, the current technology state doesn't, doesn't solve our, our climate issues, right? That's why I think that the work that you guys are doing are, is so important, or at least part of the reason. Yes. How about, how do you think though, so there are, I don't know the right way to ask this, but this, this battery space, this super, super competitive market right now, some of the smartest people in the world are going into the space because of some of these things that, that we're talking about, whether it's desire for impact, whether it's um, the, the financial opportunity, whatever. Um, how, how, how have you thought about for yourself and for your, your team, the, the company trying to balance of, hey, 
or yeah, there's a bunch of really smart people that are all doing this thing. We're coming at it from a different approach. And like, how do you remain both humble and also confident in, in your approach within this um, environment? Well, um, you know, 14 years, 14 years makes you kind of humble. You know, <laughs> just realize, you realize if you're trying to change how something is made, it's not an easy thing. I, I, sometimes I tell the story that I kind of view what we're trying to do batteries kind of like what, um, what happened when cathode ray tubes transitioned to flat panels, right? I mean, it was a completely different way to make the product that took a lot of years to do. Uh, and there were probably a lot of naysayers at the time, but ultimately it was a better way to make the product. So our humbleness gets into, we just realize it's hard and we've been, we've been driven pretty much the whole time by just results, right? I mean, it's not puffery, it's not talking, it's does your product deliver what it says to do. And um, I think if, if you're honest to that, um, it keeps you pretty centered. So we've kind of always been that way. We're not, a, we're not a company that makes a lot of, you know, claims. We're a company that delivers batteries that our customers validate. We do what we say we do. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I would say I keep myself grounded. Um, and, and, you know, look, there's, we have massive growth opportunity ahead, but there's obviously a lot of challenges for how you grow the company. And so, um, you know, we also don't want to get too hard, far ahead of ourselves and realize that, you know, those are all good problems to have, but it just, you know, it still takes a lot of time to grow a company to really be impactful in the space. And that's what we're working on. Yeah. Maybe somewhat related. So, I mean, you're now 15 years in, it seems like you've gotten to this, uh, kind of the, the tipping point to some extent where the, these next, however long is kind of the, the, the make or break, hopefully kind of the, the big coming out party after all the, all this hard work that's been put in. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but that's kind of how, how I'm seeing it based on what we've talked about. Like how, I don't know, how, how have you thought about one, one kind of maintaining, keeping, keeping the head down and making progress without kind of this, it, for the last decade plus with, without having this uh, come to market strategy coming through and then how, how has this, uh, the, these opportunities that have emerged, how has that kind of changed the way that you're running the business? Yeah, so, um, so uh, what's gratifying is that all the hard work over the 14 years got us to the point where you actually have the technology working. Um, you know, what we realized also as a battery company is just having a technology that's kind of cool and can you know, get to some high watermarks doesn't mean a whole lot unless you know how to make the thing. Yeah. But we, we spent the last two to three years really spending a lot of time and money on the manufacturing process, particularly for the stuff that's unique to us, right? And so um, that's to me, that's what's gratifying is that you have not only have this great technology, but you have to figure out how to way to make it at scale, right? Um, and, you know, we were kind of an R&D company for a long time. Now we're a manufacturing company. And having that come together this year you know, we shipped out our qualification samples out of our first factory to customers in January. Um, and we're on track to, you know, have first revenue of products we're shipping in the second quarter, right? So this kind of the culmination of like all those 15 years of, you know, the initial idea to getting the thing working to then figuring, oh my God, I figure how to make this thing, right? And all the work that went into that, you don't have a company until you do all those things, right? Just having technology without a way to make it, it actually doesn't get you anywhere, right? And so, you know, we realized that for us to succeed, we have to be obsessed about being a great manufacturer as well as continue to develop technology. Um, and over time, you know, the company has changed. In the early days, we were very R&D focused, but now we brought in a lot of experts uh, on the manufacturing side and operations side to really build a world-class manufacturing company. Having all that come together is what's unique about this company, right? There's a lot of other battery companies that topic great technologies, but they're years away from figuring out how to make it, right? And my personal observation is there's as much value and challenge in the manufacturing piece. This is there is in just a technology piece, right? You can't yeah. underestimate the other. Um, and I guess that also makes you a bit humble too, because you realize you got to get all this stuff done. You just can't have, you know, lofty claims and a few samples that work. You got to figure out how to make this thing at volume. Are there any specific philosophies or approaches on the manufacturing side that that you guys are, are, are leaning into? Yeah, so I would say we're fans of a concept called the auto line, which essentially means, you know, I, I mentioned we kind of pattern our electrodes, but very early in our process, once the electrodes are patterned, you load these long rolls of these pattern materials 
and you don't touch the battery until it goes in the shipping container. Like literally, um, it's fully automated, right? So that you can actually run the entire process with not a ton of people. And what people do really is keep the machine fed with raw materials, right? And because if you want to have a very high quality, you know, consistent product, you need to really count on machines that can do the same thing every single time, right? So we're big believers in that kind of concept. Um, and, you know, we think it allows us to deliver a very high quality product to our customers. Um, and that's maybe different from some, some other battery companies. Gotcha. And maybe the last question I have kind of on this uh, somewhat uh, topic stream. So someone comes to you, let's say a smart, driven, or early career, new, new grad, or someone who's been in the industry for a few years, they're excited about the potential of battery technology, want to make an impact on, on the industry, all these types of things. What, what type of advice do you give to a person like that? Um, I think if you're trying, if you're trying to do something new in the space, you need to make sure what you're doing really moves the needle. Right. I mean, I think about our company, when we started the company, we were trying to make a battery that's 50%, maybe hundred percent better. Right. In a world where things were 4% a year. Right. So had we come out and said, Hey, we're going to do something and our battery is going to be 10% better, not 5% better. Um, that's not a lot of advantage for the effort it's going to take to do it right and probably we would have not made it multiple times just because you know you can you can lose five percent like that right mm -hmm. you have something that really moves the needle that justifies you know the effort the time the money to do that right um and i think those opportunities are out there you just have to think differently about the problems right doing something that's just incremental um i don't think actually is what you want to do you want to really think about problems differently um and, and you know the reason I think we came at, we were successful is we actually came at the problem because we weren't battery guys to start. We were architecture guys and it, it had made us ask questions that other people wouldn't ask, right? So I would just think about how do you approach a problem differently and how does it really move the needle significantly? Because you're gonna need to weather all sorts of storms over the years to get the thing across the finish line. And unless you have a big advantage, you know, you may not make it. Yeah, and I think kind of in between the lines there too. I mean, if you target five to ten improvement, five to ten percent improvement, five years from now, the, the odds of someone in the someone a competitor emerging who's going to surpass what you're trying to do is, is is relatively high with all the people who are working on this space. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Harold, Harold, I really appreciate. It. I think this has been really interesting discussion. I think the the, the approach, well, I guess, learning about how you guys are approaching the battery, the the um, how how you built the business where, where you are now. I think it. All, all exciting topics. I, I guess I would maybe we'll, anything, anything in your mind that we, we missed or topics that you were hoping to cover or anything that you, you're hoping that someone listening to this uh, comes away from this discussion thinking about? The only thing I would say is that, um, you know, since the world is used to like this four to 5% improvement per year, and, you know, we're going to bring a battery to market that, you know, in some cases is a hundred percent better. There are things that devices are going to start doing that they haven't been able to do before. There are products that are come out that haven't been able to come out. There are things that we're going to not be able to live without that we don't even haven't even thought about yet. That's really the power of innovation and energy is it really changes so, so many things about our lives in ways we don't even know yet. Right. That's the exciting thing to me is actually you end up like really moving society forward in some meaningful ways. And I don't know what all those ways are, but I know if all of a sudden you give people a lot more energy, they're going to figure out some really cool things to do with it. To me, that's one of the really exciting things of um, what we're bringing to the market. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there, there's the obvious stuff of, hey, here's, here's the places where we need more density. But there's, there's probably a whole problem set of stuff that people haven't even pursued because the energy has been such a uh, limiting factor, right? Exactly, exactly. So that'll be exciting to me. You know, we, we have customers that are working on things they can't tell us about. But, you know these guys have lofty ideals. And I think over the next few years, you're going to see some pretty cool stuff coming out because the batteries now can, you know, power those things. Yeah. Very cool. I think a good opt optimistic note to, uh, to leave, leave it on here. So Harold, thank, thank you again. Best of luck to you. And uh, yeah, hope, hope to talk again soon. All right. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with, with Harold Ross. I think, uh, I don't know, a couple things stand out to me based based on this conversation. So the first one, I think this was the first time out within the 100 episodes almost uh, that I was able to go deep into battery cell chemistry, which I think was 
it's pretty fun, hopefully valuable if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. So I think Harold did a nice job of explaining kind of at a fundamental level how batteries work and then also using that as a as a good way to describe why it matters and what, what Innovix is doing different um, with, with their 3D approach. The other one just, I don't know, conceptually, I, I really like the idea of a company coming with expertise from outside the industry and rethinking some of the fundamental assumptions in a given field. So the, it, it sounds like, you know, the the jelly roll design, the manufacturing method, and the way that battery cells are uh, approached and have been approached, is it's more or less accepted in the industry. And that's, you know, it, it, it works pretty well, but it's, it's cool to hear about how Innovix, which has, you know, more, more of the architecture expertise is coming in and, and rethinking that. And this iterative process of, you know, coming in with a, a unique design saying, hey, let's let's rethink the battery cell and then realizing, hey, when we do this, you know, we, we we're essentially creating a heat diffusing um, architecture here, which, yeah, here, here's some super cool improvements. And then also, yeah, the, the silicone, silicon anode has, you know, the, the swelling effect, which actually but the, the way this 3d cell is is designed uh, we overcome there they, they overcome that with with their approach and you know it, it was just cool to hear him talk about how this process worked and and i think that's often how innovation works where it's not a fully intentional um approach from the from the gates it's utilizing something and then thinking about okay what what is this improvement enable for the next improvement and going from there so really fun discussion cool, cool to hear how he thought about growing the company and uh I don't know, it'll be exciting to see how they ramp up the rest of this year in 2022 and then also how these plans work out in the coming years and as they try to strive for it for larger applications. So, yeah, thanks for listening. More to come next week. Well, there you have it. The end of the countdown, most popular episode of the year. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you didn't catch it the first time around or if you're uh, yeah, catching it and listening a second time, uh, really appreciate you listening. I've, we got a lot of exciting things heading into 2023. I'll be doing a recap episode here before too long, um, talking about kind of high, higher scale um, what happened for the, for the podcast for me personally this year, how I'm thinking about heading into next year. Um, really appreciate you you listening to this episode and supporting along the way. Um, yeah, we've, we've done, done some great things this year, and uh, it's great to look back and be able to share it with, with the listeners here. So, Thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, as always, more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.